just under 30 miles outside of the Golden Gate, in the turbulent, dangerous seas, are the isolated, forbidding Farallon Islands that are surrounded by great white sharks. Lighthouses were built on the Farallones for the hundreds of ships coming in response to the gold rush. Many had been crashing on the islands. Being a lighthouse keeper on the Farallones was a severe, lonely, and harsh duty until the gold rush spurred another lesser-known rush in San Francisco. The thousands and thousands of miners and workers had to be fed and they needed protein to stay at work. The chickens that were there had long been devoured and eggs were in short supply at the restaurants that were feeding hundreds and thousands and the men began to forage. They wiped out all the bird nests on the shore and found that on the Farallone Islands, there were plenty of protein-rich eggs. The shoreless, rocky islands were difficult to navigate. There they found the eggs of the common muir, which is a penguin-like bird. The delectable muir eggs were the most sought after. When fried, the white of the muir egg would stay clear and gelatinous and its yolk was a deep red. It was most unappetizing to look at. The muirs would lay their strange, blue-speckled, pointy-tipped eggs that were twice the size of chicken eggs up on the towering, steep cliffs that were higher than Knob Hill. Doc Robinson, a pharmacist, was the first egg entrepreneur, and he did the tough, dirty, and dangerous work with his brother-in-law, Orrin. The men sailed out to the Farallon Islands and hauled back dozens of muir eggs, which they then sold to restaurants and grocery stores, making $3,000. But they had no interest in going back. They said it was a hellish experience in comparison to any work that was being done in California. So six other men decided to form the Pacific Egg Company, claiming rights to the islands. In May, when the birds would first begin to lay their eggs, about 20 or 30 rough-necked, usually Italian and Greek men, called eggers, would row to the Farallon shore. The men would climb these sheer cliffs covered in guano and push the eggs into special pockets in their shirts while being attacked by seagulls. During the first trip, eggs were not collected. The men would climb the cliffs to smash each and every egg on the island to assure that the next day when they returned, every egg would be fresh. Troublemaker Dave Batchelor kept showing up with his own bands of outlaw eggers. Just a few weeks before the Battle of Gettysburg, the Great Egg Wars of the Farallones took place. On June 3, 1863, three boatloads of heavily armed men with a cannon came to the islands. The next day, the egg company 
warned them off, and in an aggressive drunken state, Dave Batchelor's men opened fire. Edwin Perkins, an egg company employee, was killed instantly after being shot through the stomach, and the boatmen were driven off after five of them were then shot. In the early 1850s, about a half million eggs were gathered per year. For decades, any baked goods in San Francisco were made of Muir eggs. The Muir population declined year after year, dropping from nearly 400,000 to 6,000. Yet another population wiped out from the gold rush. The federal government chose to rule all commercial eggers off of the islands, although the lighthouse keepers did do some black market egging for some time. Chickens were finally established in Petaluma, doing away with the Muir egg industry. Scientists now use the Farallones to observe bird and animal life and track the recovery of species on the islands, which has once again become a robust population. Queens of the Mines features the authentic stories of Gold Rush women who blossomed from the camouflaged, twisted roots of California. Now, we finish the story of Luzina Wilson, the Queen of Devotion. For many of my listeners, the Queens of the Mines podcast had brought to light the roots of discriminating ideologies and things that we are collectively embarrassed about. We can now see with COVID-19 how easy it is to become the one discriminated against. Let us take this time to enjoy the company of whoever it is you're with, your elders, your children, your spouse, but most importantly, yourself, because time is as precious as money. And to remember, our life experiences cause us to experience the same situation differently. Be aware of that when conversing with the people you love or even the people on the internet. Share your experiences with your opinions to gain a better understanding. Trust grows through clear communication. So that is where we must start because at this time, we all have to depend on each other. This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Columbia Mercantile 1855. Columbia Mercantile 1855 is a real working grocery store with toilet paper and paper towels and snacks and food and water and everything you need right now. Last time I checked, she even had hand sanitizer. You can support local businesses there, such as Diesel Family Ranch, Inner Sanctum Cellars, Indigene, Culver's Apple Ranch, she even gets fresh sourdough bread from San Francisco Daily. It feels like an authentic mid-19th century mercantile, and there is a little bit of hardware, garden, housewares, gifts, and antiques. And you can support local artists by purchasing the original fine art there in the gallery. The Columbia Mercantile 1855 is a great place to discover a treasure trove of gold standard products for your modern life. And keep our local economy moving. 
At a time like this, it is so important to shop local. Columbia Mercantile 1855 is located near the St. Charles Saloon in the firehouse in the most interesting building in Columbia State Historic Park. You may know it, the red brick building with its iconic green iron doors. Stop by and say hello to Teresa. She's open daily from nine to six and will remain open during the shelter in place orders and all PG&E outages located at 11245 Jackson Street in historic Columbia State Park. And you can find her on social media at Columbia Mercantile 1855. Last time in Luzina Wilson's story. It was late December, 1849. Luzina was serving up to 200 boarders a week in Sacramento and charging each $25. Customers were happy to pay the high price for a meal prepared by Luzina, for the white woman was a rarity. In 1850, Women made up just 3% of the non-Native American population. Luzina Wilson reminded many of the American men of home, of their wives, their mothers, or sisters. And they treated her, as she put it, like a queen. Luzina had put her boys to bed and under a dim light had written out her list of goods needed for the next week. She would make her largest purchase yet in the morning. She set down her still dip pen, blew out the beeswax candle next to it, and laid down beside Mason. The rain began to furiously pound on the family home's weak roof, and it did not stop all night. Days and nights of non-stop heavy rain had passed. Luzina was standing over her stove one afternoon, preparing supper for the masses, when she heard someone yell from outside. The levees broke. Dropping the ladle onto the floor, she grabbed her skirt and yelled for the children, running toward the stairs. Mason was just ahead of her and the children trailed behind as they all headed to the top floor of the hotel. Looking out the window, they saw the water coming, and it was unlike anything they had ever seen. The floodwaters lapped outside and downstairs of the hotel, while Luzina, Mason, and her children sheltered upstairs for 17 days until the water subsided. Luzina had become one of the most prosperous women in the territory. But now their business was ruined. The building, the possessions, and the small fortune of barley that Mason had been farming was gone. They were broke and scared of possible flooding in the long winter ahead in Sacramento. The nest egg was gone, but the homely bird which laid it, the power and will to work, was still there. Before the flood, Luzina had heard through her customers 
people had begun striking it rich in Nevada City. Luzina promised a coach driver and his team $700 to take her two children, her stove, and two sacks of flour to Nevada City. Paying him upon their safe arrival and upon her success in the town. When she arrived, she wasted no time and began chopping wood and drove her stakes into the ground. And by the time Mason arrived there, Luzina once again had 20 men eating in her establishment, which she called the El Dorado Hotel. It took six weeks for Luzina to pay back the coach driver his $700. We had lived 18 months in Nevada City when fire cut us adrift again, as water had done in Sacramento. We were roused from sleep by the cry of fire, fire, and the clang of bells. Snatching each garment, we hurried out through the blinding smoke and darting flames, not daring even to make an effort to collect our effects. And in a short half an hour, the whole town was in a blaze. Some careless hand had set fire to a pile of pine shavings laying at the side of a house in course of construction. And while we slept, unconscious of danger, the flames caught and spread. There were no means for stopping such a conflagration. Bells clanged and gongs sounded, but all to no purpose but to save the weak sleeping people, for neither engines nor firemen were at hand. So we stood with bated breath and watched the fiery monster crush in his great red jaws the homes we had all toiled to build. The fire in Nevada City burned much of the town to the ground, including the El Dorado, and once again, the Wilsons lost everything. The remnant of our fortune consisted of $500, which my husband had in his pocket and had neglected to put away. And with that sum, we were to start again. For months, my health had been failing. And when this blow came in the shape of the fire, my strength failed and I fell sick. A generous man offered us shelter in his cabin on the edge of the woods, and for weeks I was a prisoner there, bound in the fetters of fever. When at last my returning health and strength permitted it, we decided to move. Are you enjoying the podcast? Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. It is truly important. If you're hoping to support me in the podcast in this crazy time, you can send a one-time direct donation through Venmo to at Queens of the Minds or on our brand new website, which you should check out no matter what, queensofthemines.com. This episode is also brought to you by the Bright Orange Poppy, the motherlode's answer to one-stop shopping our local artists and artisans. The Bright Orange Poppy showcases creators in the motherlode from musicians to artists photographers, artisans, and more. You can find an incredible write-up she did about me and Queens of the Minds on her website, thebop209.com. There, you'll also find The Bop Shop. The Bop Shop has art prints, homemade bath and beauty products, home goods, jewelry, and more 
as well as bright orange poppy branded merchandise. Follow them on Facebook or Instagram at thebop209. If you are a local artist that would like to make your goods or services available on this one-stop shop site, you can contact Emily through her website. Please share this idea with your creative friends, especially at a time like this. Thank you, Emily, for supporting Queens of the Minds. I look forward to watching the bright orange poppy grow. Five days of traveling was easy compared to the trip to California the first time. When the Wilsons arrived at the last range of low foothills, they pitched their tent and settled beneath an oak tree in a little valley called Vaca, eventually becoming the city of Vacaville. Mason set off to cut hay in order to make money to buy land, leaving Luzina on her own. She created a sign with scrap wood and charred embers saying, Wilson's Hotel, making chairs from stumps, starting all over again. The nest egg was gone, but the homely bird which laid it, the power and will to work was still there. Luzina was known as one of Vacaville's earliest settlers, and she invested in properties around the area and the town grew and grew. Mason struggled with Luzina's success for a long time. And in 1872, he abandoned his family out of the blue and moved to Texas. Luzina lived in total in Vacaville for 27 successful years until 1877, when fire once again destroyed what she owned. She moved into a hotel in San Francisco and spent the rest of her life there, living off of real estate transactions. Thyroid cancer took Luzina on July 11, 1902 at the Hotel Pleasanton in San Francisco when she was 83 years old. Luzina capitalized on her strengths and found that in the Old West, most men eventually tired of a woman who knew what she wanted. Queens of the Minds was written, produced, and narrated by me, Andrea Anderson. The theme song in San Francisco Bay is by DBUK. You can find the links to their music, tour dates, and merchandise, as well as the links to all of our social media and research at queensofthemines.com. Wilson's Hotel was the only hotel on the road between Sacramento and Benicia for several years, bringing her much success. The Hangtown Fry was created in Placerville around this time when a miner who had just struck it rich requested the finest and most expensive meal in the house, coincidentally at a hotel called the El Dorado Hotel. It became Gold Rush cuisine at its best, prepared with the finest ingredients available but it wasn't very elegant. The eggs were used from the Farallon Islands and were wrapped carefully in the long journey from the coast, packed next to the oysters in ice. Ice itself was a luxury and the bacon was shipped in from Europe. You wanna make Hangtown Fry? Here you go. Fry three strips of bacon until crispy. Drain and cool. Save the drippings in the pan. Beat four eggs a third cup of heavy cream and a quarter teaspoon of salt with a few shakes of pepper and a dab of nutmeg into a bowl and beat until the eggs are just incorporated. Coat six small oysters in flour, shaking off any excess flour. 
Heat the bacon grease in the skillet and throw in the oysters for less than a minute on each side. And remove from the heat. Add two tablespoons of butter into the pan and pour in that egg mixture. Cook it like an omelet, throw some bacon on top, and then the oysters before folding and topping with parsley. You might like it and you might think it's gross. I'm Andrea Anderson. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. Let's meet again next time on Queens of the Mind.